Let's turn, if you will, to John chapter 14. As you're doing that, I, I, I came in, in times of, of meditating upon this message, especially after last night. Uh, a thought had come to mind this morning, and I uh, went directly to the back of the book. You know how they say, if you really want to know what's happening in the book, you've got to go to the back of the book. But I mean the, the, the back of the Gospel of John. Because there, there's a couple of, of, of things that I want to read to you very quickly. And that's John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. And John 21, verse 25, which is the very last verse of the gospel. But in verses 30 and 31 of John chapter 20, John wrote, And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, that Yeshua, which is his Hebrew name, is the Mashiach, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. Now that's somewhat of a part of the theme that we're going to be looking at in our text this morning. But then when you look at verse 25 of the last chapter, the last book, or I should say the last verse of, of the last chapter of John, it says, and there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. And it ends with amen. Now, I, I bring these up because I, I realize that uh, a good four weeks ago was the last time we were in the Gospel of John. And we are going through this section of time. It's a one-night section of time. Beginning in chapter 13, and it's going to go into chapter 18. All the same night. That's a lot of things happening. And we're not going through them fast. We're actually going through them very slow. So I'm not here apologizing because the very fact is that much more could be written about what Jesus did and it would take volumes. So we're only dealing with a little short amount. So bear with me as we continue. But I believe when we come to issues <clears throat> that pertain to statements that Jesus himself made as he said to Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. That is significant to look at. So here we are once again in the room where Jesus is celebrating the Passover with his disciples, preparing them for the next few hours to come, which are going to involve his arrest, But even before that, his cry unto his father. The drops of sweat mixed with blood. The cry of Jesus. If it be thy will, let this cup pass. 
but not my will, thine be done. The arrest, the trial, the beatings, and the cross. The disciples, as we saw before, were, were quite perturbed, confused. And they wondered what is happening. Judas has now left the room. And Jesus speaks very intimately to his disciples about what is to come. And Peter says, where are you going? I want to go with you. You can't go with me now, but you'll get there soon enough. And so he says to his disciples, as we saw the last time we were in John 14, in verse 1, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And whither I go, you know, and the way, you know. Now Jesus isn't kidding. He says, where I go, you know, and the way, you know. And Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest. And how can we know the way? And Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So we continue now with the subject of Jesus' departure from this world and the reason that we're dealing with it separately from the previous statement of Jesus does pertain to the question that Thomas asked based on the Lord ending his encouragement with the words, and whither I go you know and the way you know. And Thomas asks him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? That question certainly revealed the confusion and the consternation the disciples as a whole were experiencing as Jesus spoke of his death, of his burial, of his resurrection and departure. Not all at one time, but throughout the time that Jesus was making his way to Jerusalem. And as I said, Peter was the first to ask him, verse 36 of the previous chapter, Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? Jesus answered him, whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. You can't go where I'm going now. I'm going to the cross. And no one can go with me there. Afterwards, 
You'll actually go there yourself. But what Jesus was saying is, you'll follow me afterwards all the way to glory. And Jesus had made it clear to them. And by the way, you're going to hear me say the word clear or clearly quite a bit today. Because Jesus was very clear about everything that he said about what he was going to do. So he made it clear to them, to his disciples, where he was going. He had come from glory. He had come from his Father. Now he was going back to glory and back to his Father by way of the cross of Calvary. And as I said last time, before he came, there was no way. There was no way. Only types, only pictures, only illustrations that prefigured the Messiah of Israel. Now, this may be repetitive, but from all that Jesus taught them and revealed to them, the disciples actually knew the way because they knew him and he was the way. And so he says to them, you know the way. I'm standing right in front of you. But the question that Thomas asked is one that more people should be asking. And I mentioned last time, that I appreciated the question that Thomas asked. We give Thomas such a hard time, we call him Doubting Thomas. But how many of us doubt? And sometimes even on a daily basis. But I'm thankful to him for asking the question, how can we know the way? And the one thing I appreciate about Thomas is that he wasn't a person who pretended he had a faith that he didn't really have. I hate to say that many people in the church today have that very same kind of attitude. They pretend to have a faith that they don't really have. I pray, I pray today that this word that we're reading and studying and all the scriptures that we put together in this becomes that mirror to our own hearts to say, do I really trust in the Lord? And, and this question that Thomas asked opened the door for Jesus to make the sixth grand statement, the grand I am statement. The sixth grand statement that summarizes God's way and only way to heaven. Only way to the Father. Verse 6 again. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way. The truth. By the way, it's I am the way and the only way. I am the truth and the only truth. I am the life and the only life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now, just as a point of review, let's look at the previous five I am statements of Jesus. Now, you got to put your thinking caps on today because I'm going to give you a test right after this. Well, okay, I'm not going to give you a test, but God is. When you read these I am statements from the scripture, as I'll read them in just a moment, there's something here that I want you to look beyond Jesus proclaiming his deity Something else, all right? That's, I'm just all I'm going to tell you. Be looking for something else in the statements that Jesus makes when he 
says the I am statements. All right, so we begin with the first one. I am the bread of life. That's found in John 6, 35. Now listen to what Jesus said. Jesus saith un, uh, said unto them, I am the bread of life. Remember that the I am, ego a me, is the name of God. That is, he is stating the fact that he is deity. I am the bread of life. He, now listen carefully, he that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Listen to that statement again. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth in me shall never thirst. Okay, that was a, that was a hint. That was a hint. Let's look at the second one. I am the light of the world. He declares himself not only as God, but as the God who is the light of the world. And he says in John 8, 12, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And then the third I am statement is, I am the door. And, and fully to understand it, I am the door of the sheepfold. And in John 10, verse 9, Jesus said, I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. And then the fourth I am statement, I am the good shepherd in the very same chapter. Two verses later, verse 11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Are you picking up on something here? I know it's early, 940. The fifth statement that he gives, the I am statement, is I am the resurrection and the life. And in John 11, verses 24 through 26, I begin with 24 to give context here that Martha, the, the, the sister of Lazarus, who was dead and dead four days in the tomb, comes to Jesus and says unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day, for Jesus makes reference to the resurrection of the dead, of the faithful dead. And Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life, he that believeth in me. Though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this, Martha? He's speaking directly to her. Do you believe this, Martha? Believest thou this? What we find here is that Jesus is not just proclaiming his deity, but the very reason why he came. He came for you and for me. He came because we were dead in our trespasses and sins. It wasn't just about him. This speaks so grandly of the love of God for his creation. That he would send his only begotten son to accomplish for those who would believe in him and confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior what they could never accomplish for themselves. Which is complete victory over sin, over death, the grave, and the devil. And to guarantee eternal life 
for every true believer in Jesus Christ. And we'll come back and sum up the I am statements in John 15 when we get to his, his, his statement, I am the true vine. But we need to see about his love in this passage. And it brings us back to that great verse of scripture. By the way, let me ask you this question. How many of you tire listening to this? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. Any of you get tired of hearing that? You don't, have to, you don't have to tell me even though a lot of you did. That's okay. I don't get tired of it. I never tire of that. That God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son. I think of the words of Paul in Romans chapter 10 verses 9 through 11. Where he says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Anybody ever get tired of that? I, I can't get tired of, of, of knowing how God has made a way for us to have eternal life through the person and work of Jesus Christ. But notice verse 10, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Have you made that confession today, folks? Have you made that confession in Jesus Christ? With your mouth, have you believed in your heart unto righteousness? Unto the fact that if you trust in the Lord with all of your heart, He is going to change you and make you a new creature in Christ. The old passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Do you believe that? Boy, it's quiet in here. Okay, you're pondering this situation. I understand. But then he says, for the scripture saith, whoso believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Shall not be ashamed. You know, as for our day and time, as we see the day of Christ rapidly approaching and the times of great tribulation nearing, there is still a tremendous confusion in spite of the clarity of Christ's words and promises. I would even consider the fact that even in churches faithful to the teaching of God's word, there are those who have never truly confessed Jesus Christ and believed unto salvation. Though given every opportunity to do so, continually claiming that they're unsure of what the word of God says and hence expressing a similar confusion and consternation, an anxiety, an alarm, a worry about the current events and signs surrounding them and us. But I'm here to tell you that if you truly believe and trust and depend upon the Lord Jesus Christ for your daily bread, for your daily strength, and for your daily peace, you have nothing to worry about like the world worries. The world has no answers. We have the answer. It's Jesus Christ. And it's everything that Jesus has said and everything Jesus has done that matters here. The world and, and even people in the church today 
And I can tell you this, in this church, there is that confusion. Not because we don't give the word of God clearly. The problem is here. In your heart. And what you believe and what you want to believe in. And how you live and how you want to live. And the Lord is saying today, it's time for you to surrender to me. How much more clear must we make things? We, li we live in a, in, a, in, a, in a certain society today, and I, I speak of those in the church where all kinds of deception is being thrown at us. And those who <clears throat> believe in the power of the Holy Spirit and believe in the power of the gifts of the Spirit to discern the spirits, to see if they're of God, are not listening, not paying attention. There are people today who rave about the movie The Shack or the book The Shack without realizing that William Paul Young wrote into it a theology that is new age and completely universal. In other words, universal salvation. That God is going to save everyone because God is in everyone. I've read the book. I don't want to go see the movie. But I know one thing. It's a deception of the enemy. I don't care how many books it's sold. I don't care that's in Christian bookstores. That's sad. It is of another spirit. And people rave over it. He wrote another book afterwards, Lies We Believe About God. And in that book, he claims he believes in universal salvation. He's a universalist. Does not believe that the cross is necessary. And he says it's wrong for people to seek salvation. Folks, are we paying attention? For Jesus to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life, what is he saying? You either come to me, but you have no way to the Father. So his answer to his disciples and to those of this generation is the same answer given to Thomas. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I want to go through these three statements singularly. The first one, I am the way, I like to call it Jesus our trailblazer. Jesus our trailblazer. And as I mentioned earlier, before Jesus came, there was no way except for the types, symbols, and illustrations given to Israel through the sacrificial system. Everything in the sacrifices and offerings, everything in the furniture and the, uh, the tools and the equipment of the tabernacle and the temple, everything that deals with the Passover feast and even the other significant feasts of Israel, all of them pointed to the Messiah of Israel, who is Yeshua, who is Jesus. It all points to Jesus. 
but the very scars of Calvary's cross on the body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ would confirm and demonstrate the price that he paid to blaze that trail for us back to God the Father. That trail that had been covered over with the sins of mankind since the fall. And Jesus clearly said to his disciples and to us, he, he clearly said where he was going. Time and time again. I am going to die. I'm going to be taken. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be buried. But on the third day, I'm going to rise again from the dead. He told this to his disciples a number of times. Even before Jerusalem. Even before that night. He was not going to remain dead. He was going to arise and ascend to the Father. He was also going to prepare a place for his followers. <clears throat> so he was not so much going to the Father's house as he was going to the Father of the house. Now you need to get this. You need to get this. The house without the Father would not be a home. It would never be heaven without the Father. But one thing we need to remember is that our primary objective as a believer in Jesus Christ is to go to the Father himself. Not so much to a place. I mean, Jesus made us sound really good. I mean, didn't he? He really did. In my Father's house are many mansions. Mansions! Ah! I can't wait to get to my mansion in heaven. I only have two bedrooms here, but over there I'll have many. My father's house are many mansions if it were not so I told you. But what are you looking at? What are you focusing upon? We need to focus on the father of the house. Our primary objective is to go to the Father himself, not so much to a place, because our aim should always be to live in the Father's presence forever. And I have to tell you, who cares what the mansion looks like? Who cares what that dwelling place is? He's the dwelling place. And Jesus was blazing that trail for us because he is the way. I thought of a story I read a long time ago about a, a, a pioneer missionary in Africa who <clears throat> was, was, was very successful in some, in, in some tribes of bringing the gospel to them. And, and, and now he wanted to expand and go north from this one particular tribe where he was at and, and wanted to go and, and, and bring the gospel to another tribe. But nobody wanted to take him because they, number one, uh, was a, it was a different kind of tribe, and, and not only that, but it was, it was dangerous, the, 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 the way to get there. But there was one man living among them that had gone there. So when the chief of this tribe brought this one man to the missionary, the, man, the, the missionary looked at the man, and he was all scarred up. Big man, but he, had, you know, he was all scarred all over his body, and he had a, he had a big machete type thing that he, you know, he had in his arms. And, and he said, he's going to take you there. He's been there. 
there they off they went, you know, this man and the missionary, and this man is chopping away and going here and there, and, and the missionary is wondering, there must be some markers that he knows, because I, I, you know, he was just completely lost. Finally, the missionary had had enough, and he, he stopped the man. He said, hey, wait a minute. I mean, it looks like we're going nowhere. And the man turned around to him, and he said, I've been to where we're going. I've gone there this very same way. I know the way. And in his language that the man knew, that the missionary knew, he said to him, I know the way, I am the way. And the missionary made it to his destination. We need to realize that that's what Jesus did for us. And the scars on this man, reflective of having been there. Well, Jesus has been there for us. The scars. What do we know? How will they know when they look and see Jesus? Because of the scars. He's blazed the trail before us. Consider Paul in Romans 8, verses 14 through 19, when he says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Referring to a relationship between God the Father and his people. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so, be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. By the way, notice he says, the glory that shall be revealed in us, not just to us. Revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God, the Father. In Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7, Paul says, But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, sons and daughters, of course, but sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. That's how much our God loves his children. He adopts us. We cry, Abba, Father. And he blesses us for eternity. And all of this is to be accomplished by Jesus, who is the way, the road, the path, the only way. 
the only way to get there. And in fact, he is the new and living way. He blazed a trail that wasn't there. Remember I said there was no way. There was the promise. In Genesis 3.15, there was the promise of the Messiah. And then came the prophet John the Baptist who gave forth the message. Here he comes. Here comes the way. But he's the new and living way, as in Hebrews 10, verses 19 and 20, he says, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. Jesus Christ is our trailblazer. He has blazed the way for us. Secondly, Jesus said, I am the truth. And in this, I look at it as Jesus being the embodiment, the communicator, and the liberator of truth. The embodiment of truth, the communicator of truth, and the liberator of truth. In effect, the liberator with truth. If Thomas were to have come up with a follow-up question for Jesus, you remember his first question, how can we know the way? Well, Jesus answered, he said, well, I am the way. If he came up with a follow-up question, what would it have been? Oh, yeah, well, how can I be sure? I think that's what Thomas would have asked. But you see, Jesus didn't give him time because he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way. Well, how can we know the way? Well, because I am the way. Okay, well, how can we be sure? Because I'm the truth. I'm the truth. And what the Lord does here now is to sum up all that is eternal and absolute about himself. All that is eternal and absolute about himself is Jesus being the truth. Jesus, by the way, didn't just merely teach the truth. Have you ever heard people say, you know, we believe that Jesus was a good teacher? Like if the only thing he ever came to do was to teach. What did he do, come to get his tenure as a teacher? Teachers, are you here? Was he just a teacher? You see, he didn't merely teach the truth. He was the truth. And everything that he said was about himself and his father. He was and is and always will be in a class by himself. No one can be equal to him in this. He did proclaim truth, but he proclaimed himself as the truth. No Buddha, no Greek philosopher, no Indian mystic ever spoke with the authority as Jesus. And each of them, and each of them in the sense of everyone that we've ever heard of in, in our history classes, whether it be Buddha or any number of yogis or, not yogi bearer, but you know, uh, those Hindu guys and, you know, and, and the Greek philosophers, you know, Socrates and Aristotle and everybody else, all these guys, may I, may I tell you one thing, they're all dead. 
In the previous five millennia, the world discovered every limitation and every bankruptcy of man's religions and philosophies when Jesus appeared on this earth. Every limitation came out. Every bankruptcy was made clear. In every religion and in every philosophy, apart from Christ. Frederick Nietzsche in, in the 19th century was famous for his declaration that God is dead. And back in the 60s in Time magazine, there was that statement right on the front of the, you know, during the, you know, the cultural revolution of the 60s, God is dead. And someone went into some bathroom wall one time and he wrote, God is dead. And underneath he said, sign, Frederick Nietzsche. Someone else came in later and wrote, Nietzsche is dead, signed, God. <laughs> now he probably didn't need to do that in a bathroom, but. But God is still here. And Jesus is alive. And he is alive because he is the way and the truth and the life. Our God is matchless. Our Lord is matchless. Our Christ, our Messiah is matchless when it comes to the truth. That is because he is the picture of truth. Take note of this, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory. Now listen, he's the brightness of the glory of the Father. And the express image of his person, I mean the exact stamp of the person of the Father. And upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. In John 1 verses 1 through 3, when we began our study in the Gospel of John, we began with these words, In the beginning was the Logos, the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. By the way, folks, there is no article before the word God. Good Greek scholars will tell you, you cannot add a uh, any kind of article there. You cannot say the word was the God. It's not there. The Jehovah's Witnesses in their uh, New World Translation have changed this and placed an article before the word God and then they, and then they brought the, the word God down from a big, you know, capital G to a little g. But they put a, an article, A, and the word was a God. That is deception, folks. Because in the original manuscripts, that word's not there. And all the manuscripts ever be, that came after that, that article is not there. The word was God. 
pure and simple. The same was in the beginning with God. That means that he was eternal with the Father. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And if you jump down to verse 14, it says, The word, the Logos, was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Listen, full of what? Grace and? Full of grace and? <laughs> oh, thank you. You made my day. All right, interaction here, interaction. To understand Jesus as the Logos, or the Word of God, and hence the truth, we need to know that this means, the, the word Logos, this means that Jesus is the, he is the, and I quote, the something said and thought. He is the something said and thought. He is the subject of discourse. He is the main topic. He is the reasoning and motive. He is, in effect, the divine expression, account, cause, communication, intent, utterance, and preaching of God the Father. That is Jesus the Logos. And that's just half of the list. I, I, I thought if I kept going, we wouldn't be finished early. God the Father not only talks to man about himself, he shows man what he is like in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. In Jesus, you can see the perfect picture of the truth of God. In Jesus and in him alone. This is why in John 10, verse 30, in this very short but profound statement, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. And by the way, we all know what happens when he says that. Those that heard him were picking up stones to stone him. That is the embodiment of truth in Jesus. And then as the communicator of truth, Jesus makes all things perfectly clear by revealing the ultimate source and meaning and end of all things. He reveals the truth of man himself and of the world surrounding man. He's showed us all of this. He's told us what is to come. And he will even say to his disciples later on in this particular uh, passage that extends through chapter 16, uh, the, the Spirit of God will be given so that he will show you all things to come to show you things to come. He shows man the right way to the truth and enables man to choose the right way to the truth. But consider the words of John the Baptist. Consider what John says about the truth in Jesus. John chapter 3, verses 33 through 36. He that has received his testimony has set to his seal that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaketh the words of God. Are the words of God not, of God not truth? <laughs> For God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. In other words, God did not limit the Spirit to Jesus who is the truth. Didn't limit him in expressing the whole truth 
about God. And notice in verse 35, the Father loveth the Son and has given all things into his hand. And he that believeth on the Son has everlasting life. Get this. He that believeth in the Son, the truth, hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth in him. Folks, be quite aware that those who teach of a universal salvation like William Paul Young in the shack and in other works like that are disregarding this word. He that believeth not shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth in him. What do you do with that? That's in God's word. Do you just throw it out? Because that's what they do. They'll never take you there, and they'll never try to explain why. Oh, they might try, but if they hold to that thought, like Rob Bell, this other emerging church kind of guy that, that wrote a book uh, about the fact that there's no hell. His book is called Love Wins, and people say, oh, it's amazing, love wins. No, you know what wins? Truth wins. I met a new friend on my trip in Wisconsin. His name is Jim Fletcher. And he wrote a book called Truth Wins to, uh, as a critique to Rob Bell's book, Love Wins. I encourage you to read it. I've, I'm, I'm, I've enjoyed reading it. I read it on the plane back from Wisconsin. Good man. Loves the Lord and he loves Israel and he loves the truth, God's word. But that's what we have to do. We have to stay in God's word because of those that are trying to take us away. And the word is real clear. They do it because of their own lusts. Only God knows their hearts on that, but you know what? That's, that's what it'll end up being. Consider what Jesus said to Pilate in John chapter 18, verse 37. Pilate therefore said unto him, Are thou a king? Then Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born. Listen to what he says. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world. Here's the reason. You want to know why Jesus came into the world? He's going to tell you. For this cause came I into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. So which truth then is it? The truth of the word of God or what people are going around saying is truth that doesn't line up to what Jesus has given us. He is the communicator of truth, of God's truth, of the only real and living truth. And then lastly, as the liberator of truth, and I say liberator with truth, just remember what Jesus said in John 8, verses 31 and 32. Very simple. Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, if you continue in my word. Now notice, continue in God's word. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the 
truth shall make you free. Free. Free from the bondage of sin and death. Free from the bondage of the enemy. Free from the bondage of hell. Free to go in and out of, uh, of uh, and to find pasture wherever the Lord takes us. Lastly, Jesus says, I am the life. I call him our life bearer. And there is a major difference between telling someone about life and actually living life. The one who lives is the one who possesses life. The more perfect one lives, and when I say that, I just say the more complete the person lives, the more life one possesses. But we know one thing, and that is that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life. And I mean to tell you, he lived a perfect life. No stain, no blemish, no wrinkle on Jesus' life. Perfect. And therefore, he possesses life perfectly. He is the life, the very embodiment and source of life itself. That is who Jesus is. And all of these things, all the things that we've heard and read before, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. John 1 verse 4. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life. Zoe in the Greek. Life and that they might have it more abundantly. Spiritual life. Too many people are equating life with what we have and possess on this earth. But Jesus himself said, listen, you should be storing up your treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy or where thieves can break in and steal. For where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So the life that Jesus said, I've come to give you, he says, it is one that is more abundant because it is spiritual life. It is that life that will carry us into eternity. In John 11, as we already read, in verse 25, Jesus said unto Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. In Romans 5, verse 21, that as sin has reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto what? Unto eternal life. By Jesus Christ our Lord. To Timothy, Paul says in 2 Timothy 1 verse 10, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior uh, Jesus Christ who has abolished death, notice, and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He has brought life and immortality. Life and eternal life to light through the good news, through the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to give you one last thought here. As the way Jesus focused the attention of his disciples on God the Son. I am the way, I am the trailblazer. I am the one who's gone to the cross for you. I am the one who died but rose again on the third day. I am the one who ascended and sit at the Father's right hand waiting for the moment that he sends me and says, it's time to go get your bride. He focuses the, the disciples' attention on himself. I am the way. 
the Son. As the truth, he focused on God the Father, whose truth he reflected beautifully and perfectly. Throughout his earthly ministry, but now especially in all of his glory. And lastly, as the life, he brings the life breath of God the Holy Spirit into focus. Take, for example, Genesis 2, verse 7, where it says that the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. He breathed life. In effect, he breathed spirit, uh, physical life into man. And that through the very breath of God in the sense of being the Holy Spirit. But think about this. When you go to John chapter 20, verse 22, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and his disciples were huddled together, and Jesus comes and appears to them. We're told in verse 22, when he had said this, he breathed on them. Notice, Jesus breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Receive the Spirit of God. Life. He gave us physical life. He breathed that life into us. Little baby comes out of the womb of its mother. And I don't know if this is what they used to do. I don't know. If they well, I actually worked in a maternity hospital. I worked in delivery. I helped deliver babies all the time. This was many, many years ago, almost 40 years ago. So I'll let you know that I did that when I was three years old. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, the old the old thought was a baby would come out and then the doctor would hold him by the feet and he would give him a little tap on his behind and and the breath of life would come. God has given us the breath of life. But he also said, wait for the promise of the Father. And at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, that great wind of God blew through that upper room where the disciples and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and others that it added up to about 120 received this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of life, the Holy Spirit, the necessity for service unto God. The Spirit of God to know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. 
Our God is not the God of death and destruction. Our God is the God of life. And it is Jesus in his own words. Turn to Luke chapter 20, verse 38. We're going to close with this. Luke 20, verse 38. Jesus said, For he is not a God of the dead, but of the living, for all live unto him. Now lastly, the most clear phrase that Jesus gave in John 14, 6, the most clear phrase, listen, is this one. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. No man cometh unto the Father No one person cometh unto the Father but by me. There's no other way to the Father. There's no other way to the Father's house. There's no other way to heaven. There is no other way but by Jesus Christ. And I have to tell you that if you have never prayed to receive Jesus in your life, you need to do that today. Because I can tell you this, that Jesus can come at any moment. That is the imminency of the return of Jesus Christ for his church. He can come at any moment. Wouldn't it be beautiful that even right now, right now, if the Lord were to come this very moment, to snatch us away, as Paul describes in 1 Thessalonians 4, and as Jesus describes in his most gentle way, when he says, I will come again and receive you unto myself. Man, that receiving will be a snatching away, so that where I am, there you will be also. Uh, also. If he does that today, will you be with him? Will you be with him? It's not by things, it's not by works of righteousness which we have done folks but according to his mercy he has saved us to the washing and regeneration of the word of God you've received the word what will you do with his word today folks today is not the day to play games with God today is the day to get right with Jesus amen do you know why because he is the way and the only way Because he is the truth, the only truth, and he is the life, the only life.